I, I use this old one just for a prop. But I got my iPad in here. I'm no, just kidding. I've done that before, though. Um, so Luke 23. Luke 23, starting with verse 44. There are Bibles. If anybody needs a Bible, please raise your hand. There's plenty. There's some back there. You want one to be back? Try not to toss Bibles. <laughs> it, it offends people. Uh, okay, Luke 23, 44 through 46. Um, if, you're, if you're looking ahead, you, you might notice this is not going to be a Palm Sunday sermon. Since we don't meet between now and Easter, I decided we need to talk about the cross and the death of Jesus. I love Palm Sunday because it's a celebratory time. We get to celebrate the King, but... Uh, for a church that doesn't meet on the Wednesdays in Lent or Monday, Thursday or Good Friday, we need to do a Good Friday message at some point before he's risen. Okay? So, good. Good Friday messages are a little heavier. So, actually, let's pray again before we start because of that. Lord, pray that you would have us open our hearts this morning, to open our hearts and think about what you have done for us. We're going to take communion later, and in in your word it says that we should do communion in order to proclaim your death until you come again. So Lord, we want to proclaim your death this morning. Help us not to be afraid to talk about it or ashamed to look at it? Because you weren't ashamed to do it. So Lord, I pray you'd have us open up our hearts now and our minds to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So please read with me Luke 23, 44 through 46. It's about the sixth hour. Jesus is on the cross at this point. This is the end. It was about the sixth hour. Darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. The curtain of the temple was torn in two. And then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So this is the death of Jesus. Um, there's, <laughs> there's a lot in this passage. I could preach on this for months. I'm going to keep it to about two hours. I timed it, so it should be fine. Um, the aspect I want to focus on uh, this morning is a difficult one. It's very lenty, and, uh, but I think we can manage it. Um, what we see in this passage, what we just read, is the most important moment in human history. It's the crux of the entire human story. Everything in this book that happens before the book of Matthew is pointing to Jesus. Everything in human history was pointing to Jesus. Everything that happens in this book after John points back to Jesus. Jesus is the focus of the Bible. He's the focus of all of human history. And so if Jesus is the focus, so he's the center, he's the theme of this whole story. And the center of Jesus' story is this. It's the cross. So this is the most important thing in the Bible, the most important moment in the history of the world and the history of us. 
So what is that? What is the center of the Bible? What is the theme of all of Scripture? Jesus died. God died. The most important moment in human history is when God died. And that's a strange thing to think about in a lot of ways. People from other religions have a hard time understanding that. You worship a God who died? That makes no sense to me. Christians often talk about the resurrection, as we should. It's a wonderful thing. But to me, when I, when I read the story, the resurrection isn't surprising. It's not surprising to me that God raised Jesus from the dead. Of course he did. He's God. What's surprising is that God died in the first place. That shouldn't have happened. Since when does God die? Since when does God get murdered by his enemies? That shouldn't happen. That's the surprise of the Bible. That's why our story is so much different than the ones that the world makes up. The world doesn't make up a God who dies. The world doesn't make up a God who sacrifices himself for us. The resurrection is great. I think that's the punctuation at the end of that thematic sentence. Jesus died for you is how I would summarize this book. Jesus died for you. And the punctuation of the end of the sentence is the resurrection. Of course, it's an exclamation mark, right? Because it's a pretty big deal. Jesus rose from the dead. But it's not Easter yet, so we can't talk about it. It's hard not to talk about the resurrection when you're talking about the death. But it is good to look at the death of Jesus and allow yourself to experience and feel that. Um, but we don't like to talk about death, any kind of death. Jesus' death, our death, anybody's death. We don't like to talk about that. But we know that everybody dies. We still don't want to talk about it, but we know that everybody dies. I'm going to die someday soon. You're going to die someday soon. My wife is going to die. My beloved children are going to die. My grandchildren, who I'm already praying for, will one day die. Everybody dies. But we don't like to talk about death, even when we're Christians. I think it scares us. But on the cross, Jesus gives us a precious gift because he allows us to watch him die. He allows us to watch him die. Now, we know that the gift of the cross involves Jesus paying for our sins, reconciling us to God, and all those things. And all those things are awesome, and we praise God for that. But what I want to talk about this morning is the death of Jesus itself. And the fact that he allowed us to watch him die. And we look at the life of Jesus to show us how to live. And I think that when we look at the death of Jesus, he shows us how to die. And that is a precious gift that few of us ever want to look at and see, but I think it's good to do it. A lot of us, a lot of people, when they die, they leave the world kicking and screaming, right? Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Do not go gentle into that good night. It's a great poem, terrible theology. People go kicking and screaming. They go mad, they go upset, they want more time. They're begging with God or they're cursing God, one of the two. That is often the case, and it's really sad because that's not how we're supposed to go out. That's not how we're supposed to die. And I don't talk, I'm, not, I'm not talking about the manner of our death, like what gets us in the end. I'm talking about how we go out, okay, how we die. And if we look at how Jesus died, I think, I think it's very helpful. So let's look at this. How does Jesus die? 
Well, first of all, Jesus dies in faith. Jesus dies in faith. This, this verse here, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So he dies in faith. He dies believing that after he dies, he's going to be with the Father. He has that confidence. Now, sometimes we look at what Jesus does and we say, well, sure he did, he's God. Of course he was confident of that. But let's think about what Jesus was experiencing at this moment. We talk about the physical agony of Jesus. We've all probably heard many, many sermons, stories, teachings on the physical pain and suffering Jesus had on his way to the cross and at the cross. But I think the emotional pain that Jesus experienced on the cross was far worse than the physical pain. Far worse. See, because at this moment, all of sin had been poured out on Jesus. The Father had dumped everything on him. And under the Old Covenant, sin separates us from God. Right? That's under the Old Covenant. Under the New Covenant, through Jesus, sin no longer separates us from God because of what he does here. But under the Old Covenant, sin separates us from God. Jesus, so you got Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're always together, right? Three persons in such unity that they share one essence. Three are one in every sense. Okay? That is God for eternity past. And now, God the Father dumps out sin, all the sin of us, the whole world, past, present, future, on Jesus. And what does that do? It rips Jesus apart from God. Now imagine what that would have been like for Jesus. So he has all sin dumped out on him. The punishment, the anger over sin, all the curse, everything dumped out on him. And it rips him from God because sin separates from God. So God himself, the second person of the Trinity, who's been with God for eternity past, is now torn from him, separated from God for the first time ever. And so the Father, Son, and Spirit love each other with a perfect love. Imagine being ripped away from the person you love the most. Completely separated from them. Torn from them in every way. Such that Jesus screams out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God had forsaken him. God had rejected him. On the cross, Jesus was torn apart from God. Imagine the emotional agony that Jesus must have gone through in that moment. Some of us here have lost people in our lives. We've had people torn from us. We've lost grandparents. We've lost parents. We've lost children. We've lost grandchildren. We've lost other loved ones. So we know, in a, in a way, what it feels like, don't we? To be ripped from someone you love. We understand what that pain is like. And now magnify that by infinity, because we're talking about God here. We're talking about Jesus being torn from God for the first time ever. Not sensing God at all. Not feeling it. Not experiencing it. He's gone. Heaven has turned away from Jesus himself. The emotional agony and pain and suffering that Jesus experienced on the cross was far greater than any physical pain he experienced. It was insane. Uh, honestly, I don't think our minds could possibly comprehend 
the magnitude of pain that Jesus experienced at that moment on the cross. And it wasn't a moment, it was at least three hours, six to nine. Incredible pain, incredible agony, and yet he still has faith. And a lot of us have pain in our lives, don't we? Sometimes we have agony, we have suffering emotionally. And in a, in a lot of American cultures, especially from a Scandinavian background, some of us are taught either overtly or covertly that emotional pain is not real. Just shake it off, shove it down, bury it deep, deep down until eventually you die <laughs> and never heal. Okay? Um, that is not the way to deal with it. And, and Jesus wants to heal our emotional pain, not just because he's a good, good father who loves us. Any father, my, my kid falls, she skins her knee, I want to pick her up, I want to help her because she's in pain because I love her. And our father wants to help us in our pain because he loves us. But more than that, Jesus has been there. He actually experienced emotional pain, incredible emotional pain. Um, I was talking with someone just this morning about how someone who's experienced a lot of pain in their life tends to be more empathetic to other people who've experienced pain. And in Hebrews, it says that we have a great high priest who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses and in our suffering because he himself has been there. Jesus has experienced emotional pain, suffering, difficulty, rejection. He's experienced that to the nth degree. And so when we experience that, when we suffer with that, we don't have to just hold on to it all by ourselves and be like, oh, I wish I was strong enough not to be in pain right now, or whatever it is we think. But I think, so that's what I said. But that's not what Jesus wants us to do. Because he's been there, and he says, no, I want to take that pain away from you. I want to heal you of that, because that's horrible. And I've been there, and I hated it. And so I want to heal you of that. Um, I'm going to pause the sermon and I want to pray for people who have some emotional pain. I think a lot of us here do. Um, but let's just take a minute. Lord, you know what it's like to be in pain, to suffer. You know what it's like to experience rejection, separation, loneliness, complete, complete loneliness. You know what it's like to have incredible suffering, to have your heart ripped in two. And there are some of us here who are experiencing pain. Maybe it feels that bad to us, some pretty serious stuff. Or maybe it's smaller than that, but it's still pain. It's still real. We thank you that you sympathize because you've been there. We thank you that you want to heal that pain, whatever it is. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to let go of it. There's something weird about us, God, probably because of the fall, but there's something weird in us that wants to hang on to stuff. There's something weird that wants to not let go of pain. It brings a sort of sick kind of comfort that feels better than just the pain by itself, so we hang on to it. Help us not to do that. Help us to let go of this pain. Help us to let go of the wounds of our past or our present. Help us to let go of anxiety about the future. Help us to give up. 
and let this stuff go to you, who sympathizes as our great and loving father and also as our brother who's been there. And he knows exactly what we're going through. So we pray for your healing this morning. We pray for your touch. If you're, if you're experiencing emotional pain, I'm just going to ask you to be a little bold uh, and just raise your hand. If there's any sort of pain that you're going through right now, there's a bunch of hands up. Um, let's gather around the people who have their hands up. I'm going to pray one more time, and then let's just soak them in the presence of God for a few minutes. This is important. This is important. Let's, could you raise your hands again, maybe just so people can move? If everybody can just move for a minute. If you want to be prayed for, ask for prayer. If you want to pray for someone else, do that, or both. Uh, I'm going to pray for another few seconds, and then, and then let's just soak one another in the presence of God this morning. Father, we ask that your healing presence would come here this morning. We give you our pain, Jesus. We give you our pain. You went through your pain on the cross so that you could take ours from us. Isaiah 53, surely he has taken our griefs and carried our sorrows. You experienced your pain so that we could give this up and trade it for peace and joy. And so, Lord, help us right now to, as an act of our will, let go of our pain, let go of what's been done to us, let go of our circumstances, and just receive your healing. We thank you that you understand we thank you that you sympathize with us. So let's just let's just pray for each other for a couple minutes. I had the same exact picture. the same thing. I mean, what do you call a really thick blanket on your bed? A comfort. I realize that's a pun, but that was the vision, so I'm giving God credit for that one. Jesus is the great comfort, isn't he? So Lord Jesus, we thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit to us, and we pray for the comforter to come and comfort us right now. Just wrap us up and snuggle us in. Just pray the love of God into all of us right now.
continue, you need to keep praying, or just if you want to just sit there and continue to receive from the Holy Spirit, please do that. So, Jesus is on the cross, and despite the fact that he's been forsaken by the Father, that he's been split apart from the Trinity, that he's been one with for eternity past, despite the fact that he's going through extreme emotional torment, physical torment, the literal hell of that minute. Despite all of those things, Jesus says in Luke 23, 46, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And so when Jesus dies, he dies in faith. Despite everything that's going on, he fully believes and is fully confident that he is giving himself into the Father's hands. Despite the fact that he cannot feel the Father at all. So he dies in faith. And as, as I'm sure you've all heard many times in sermons, um, the word here Jesus uses is Abba, which is a very familiar term. It's like what little kids call their dad. So daddy, papa, that's what Abba means. And so when Jesus is saying that, he's like, daddy, here I come. So it's an act of faith um, on Jesus' part. When I was a little younger, I had a little sister. I still do, actually. Um, but uh, she was very little then, like four, five, six. And I, my room was downstairs in the basement. She would be upstairs. And she had complete faith in me, complete faith, such that I'd be coming up the basement stairs, which was like a full straight flight, so kind of long, hardwood stairs, right? She'd be at the top, and she would jump down into Nate's arms, Nanny, because she called me when she was very little, Nanny. And uh, she would jump, and I would have to, like, scramble up the stairs to catch her because it didn't dawn on her that I would not catch her. It didn't dawn on her that I couldn't catch her if I was all the way at the bottom of the stairs. She had complete faith in me. Okay, that's what childlike faith is like. And that's, I think, what Jesus wants us to have, is that kind of childlike faith. And that's exactly what Jesus has here. He's saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I'm jumping. And I know you're going to catch me, because God's better than me at catching uh, people. And so despite all this grief and abandonment, Jesus knows he's safe in God's hands. I think this is a beautiful example of how to die well, how to die in faith. Despite everything else that's going on, he has that faith, and that's not going to be shaken. Um, and we can place our, that same confidence in our heavenly daddy as well. So Jesus dies with faith. Uh, the second thing is he dies with prophecy on his lips. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's a prophecy. It's from Scripture, Psalm 31, 5. So he dies with scripture on his lips. And not just scripture, but prophecy. It's a promise. It's a messianic passage, Psalm 31. So that was a word for him, from God. And so he dies holding on to a promise that God has given him personally, which I think is important. God gives us all promises, and we need to hang on to them. And even at this moment, Jesus hangs on to that promise. He hangs on to that prophecy. And that's what gives him the confidence to stand, I think, and say, into your hands I commit my spirit. I know this is me. I know this is true. And so when we die, we don't die without hope. We know that. And one of the reasons is because we have these promises from God. Even when we can't feel anything else, even when nothing else makes sense, we have the scripture. We have the promises of God to stand on. And when Jesus dies, he dies with scripture on his lips. He dies with God's promises to him on his lips. 
And I think that's significant. Um, we die knowing, after Jesus now is where we live, and so we die knowing, oh, grave, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your state? We die knowing that death isn't what it used to be. <laughs> and we, we die knowing that death is just the next step. We're walking along in life, and then we take one more step, and now we're in eternity. And that's it. That's all death is now. Because after this moment, Jesus descended into hell, and he whooped up on death and hell. And he took all the captives and brought them up. So now all death is is the next step towards eternity. And so we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear that anymore. And that is one of the promises we have regarding our death in the scripture. So I hope that when each of us in this room dies, we can die with the promises of God on our heart and even on our lips. That we can say, this is what I'm standing on. Um, finally, Jesus dies at peace. He doesn't die peacefully, because nothing that was happening right there was peaceful. But despite that, he dies at peace. And, um, I mean, think about all the agony, again. The, the physical torment, the torture, the political scene that was going on right there. The disciples are terrified. He's worried about his mother. So many things going on at the cross. And yet Jesus dies at peace. And some of you have heard me teach on peace before, but Jesus gave us his peace. That means it's ours, so we have it. And he actually expects us to be at peace in here all the time, no matter what's happening in our lives. We can choose to walk in the peace of Christ because it's ours. He gave it to us. So no matter how stressful the situation is or insane it is or anxious it is or worrisome it is or painful it is, we can still have peace inside in that moment. Because Christ lives in here, and he gave us our peace. And that peace pushes out from the inside, no matter what squeezes in on the outside. That peace pushes back, and it gives us an equilibrium, a tranquility. And that's what God wants us to have all the time. And Jesus exhibits this perfectly at the cross. You can just see he's at peace in everything that he says and what he does. He's at peace. He's so at peace that he's able to not only be upset, he's not upset at other people, but he's willing to go all the way and pray for other people, including the ones that are killing him. How crazy is that? Father, forgive them. They don't understand. Don't, don't hold this against them. They don't understand what they're doing. He's so at peace that he's still in ministry mode. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. Jesus dies at peace. And I think, it's just, I think it's just a wonderful thing, despite all the stress and everything that's going on. He dies at peace. And that's, I think, what he wants from us. And um, Psalm 31.5, into your hands I commit my spirit. Uh, when I was re researching this, I didn't understand this, but um, I found out that this is a prayer uh, for Jewish children. It's a prayer that Jewish children prayed before they fell asleep at night. So back in the day, I don't know if they still do or not, but back in the day they would say, into your hands I commit my spirit. I think that sounds a lot like the American bedtime prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. Some of you may be, I'm sure you've all at least heard that prayer before. I always found it a tad bit creepy, personally, to pray right before you fall asleep. Um, but I think that sounds a lot like, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's a very similar thought. It's a, it's a prayer, but, it, but it's, a, it's a relinquishment. And especially 2,000 years ago, you might not wake up. <laughs> I mean, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't as healthy of a place. It wasn't as safe of a place. Um, and so that was a typical prayer that Jewish fathers taught their children. Okay. So Jesus would have grown up each night after darkness fell, 
you would pray, raise your hands like Hannah's did. And Joseph, Jesus' earthly dad, would have taught him that prayer. And every night, after darkness fell, they would have prayed together, raise your hands like Hannah's did. You can picture Joseph snuggling up with Jesus, teaching him this prayer. That Jesus prayed every night before he fell asleep, right after darkness fell. Luke 23, 44. It was now about the sixth hour. And darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. And the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said that, he breathed his last. So Jesus dies as a child, falling asleep in his daddy's arms. I think this is how we are meant to live. I think Jesus is showing us, show us how we can live through his life, shows us how we can die. Through his death, we can die. In faith, in confidence, we can die. With the promises of God on our lips, we can die at peace. We can die as a child, falling asleep in our daddy's arms. And I pray that when each of our days come, that that's how we'll die. Amen.